from now on. Everybody say, from now on. From now on. On. At the end of this, uh, <clears throat> this movie, Barnum, who is Hugh Jackman in the movie, he, uh, he kind of comes to like the end of himself. He's got a uh, terrible situation going on. He's alienated his family. His wife and his kids have moved out of the house. Um, he's gone on this nationwide tour that has failed epically and quit, uh, kind of quit running in the middle of it. And all the newspapers ha- have put his name across, uh, uh, across the front of the newspaper saying that basically he is, he has failed. Um, everybody kind of thinks poorly of him. He, he left behind his, his, uh, group at the circus and kind of left them, um, and, and didn't really pay attention to him. So he's alienated them. This, this woman that he went on tour with, uh, he alienated her and then he comes back and his circus has burned down and and he has nothing left. His name and his reputation ruined. Uh, everything has fallen apart. And he finds himself sitting in a bar alone, wondering how he got there. And at the end, he, he gets surrounded by uh, some of his friends. And they start singing this song, From Now On. And he starts saying, hey, I'm going to start changing some things. If I want to get out of this situation that I'm in, I have to start changing some things in my life. And and I've got to start right now. Maybe you've said uh, this before. Maybe you've said from now on. Maybe you found yourself in a bad situation. Uh, You found yourself with a grade that you didn't intend. You found yourself um, with a breakup. You found yourself in an argument. You found yourself um, getting caught doing something. You found yourself getting in trouble for something. And And you say, from now on. From now on, I'm going to study. From now on... I'm going to go to class. From now on, I'm not going to cheat on my boyfriend or girlfriend. From now on, I'm not going to gossip. From now on, I'm going to love people. From now on, I'm going to actually listen to my parents. From now on, I'm not going to break the law. From now on, I'm not going to do whatever. Or from now on, I'm going to start doing something else. And we start making these these promises, right? You know what happens. Like We're like, please, God, if you just get me out of this situation, from now on, I'll do everything you want me to. We make these promises. We make these resolutions. We set up all these goals. And yet, we have a problem. And here is the problem. Many times, we may set the goals, we may feel convicted, we may feel guilty, we may realize that we've messed up. We might hear a sermon and be like, oh yeah, you know what, I should have done things differently. And you realize you need to start doing something or stop doing something else, but nothing happens. And then nothing changes. And why? Our problem is so many times we say it, we plan it, we think about it, We talk about it, but we don't actually do it. We don't actually do it. And tonight, we want to kind of talk about um, the way we can fix that problem. And this may be one of the simplest sermons you've ever heard, but it's a lot harder to do than to um, talk about. And so um, James is, uh, is a guy that writes a book called James, and it's at the end of the Bible. And um, James was an early leader in the church. This is actually one of the earliest, actually like the earliest book written in the New Testament. This book or this letter was written 10 years after Jesus died. And it was written by a guy named James, who was a leader in the church in Jerusalem. And uh, the, the interesting thing about James is that he was related to Jesus. He was the younger brother of Jesus. And, uh, and he didn't always believe that his brother was God. I mean, who, who would really believe that? He, he, uh, he, there's actually scripture where uh, Jesus' family comes to him and they're like, we need to take you home. Like, you're crazy. You're not God. I don't know what you think you're doing. You're just some normal guy from the middle of nowhere. And his own family, his brothers, who's mentioned one of them, James, and, and his mother, they, they come for him and they're like, listen, man, like, 
we don't know about what you're going, going through or what you're doing, but like you're calling yourself God and, and they didn't believe in him. But something changes because over the years, um, at the end of his life, James sees uh, <clears throat> Jesus die. He sees his brother die in a, in a gruesome way on a cross in Jerusalem, killed by Roman soldiers. And then a funny thing happens. A few days later, he starts seeing his brother walking around again. And he spends time with his brother. And, and what happens is he begins to believe that Jesus actually is God. I want you to think about this. He believes that his brother is God. He surrendered his life to his brother. Presley Harrell, where are you at? Stand up. There you are. Presley, you're in ninth grade, right? You got an older brother, right? Sam Harrell, stand up. Sam Harrell's an 11th grader. Um, so Presley, what would it take for you to make Sam the Lord of your life? What would it take for you to start praying to your brother and calling him God? What would it take? Could you see it happening? Right. You could sit down. That's the point. Nobody would believe that their brother or their sibling was the son of God. Unless, unless they watched their brother die after he predicted he would die and raise again. And then he actually rose again. And so James finds himself in a weird place where he is calling his brother Lord. So he writes this book, and this book is like super short and super in your face. Like out of all the books in the Bible, James is like kind of hard on us. And he kind of speaks plainly. And here's why. He lived with Jesus. He watched Jesus live. He spent time with Jesus growing up all the way through. He saw how Jesus lived and talked and walked. And he made a connection. When he made Jesus the Lord of his life, he realized, wait a second, all that time, Jesus just always did the right thing. Jesus just always loved people. Jesus really was God. And so then he looks at all the followers of Jesus at that point. And he looks around at them. He's like, you believe that Jesus is Lord, and yet you don't really act like him. And so he writes this letter where he says, basically, if you're going to say you follow Jesus, perhaps you should look like Jesus. And the reason why his perspective is so harsh is because, again, he was closest to Jesus. He saw him live his life, and he saw him die that death. And so he was kind of like in this position where he's like, listen, I know what Jesus is like. I know how he acted and how he loved and how he talked. And so if you're going to follow him, maybe you should start acting a little bit like him. And so we're going to look at a few verses in his letter. And we're going to start in chapter 1, verse 22. Here's what he says. <clears throat> Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. He says, don't merely listen, but you also need to do. He says, if you don't do this, you are deceiving yourselves. This word for deceive in the original language is like a mathematical term. They would use it for like a miscalculation. So what he's saying is, if you listen and you don't actually do, it's like the same thing as saying two plus two equals five. It's not correct. It's incorrect. It does not make any sense. So then he continues. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror. And when he says this, that word for looks is like stares at their face. Not just like kind of one of those quick things where it's just like, like a quick glance, but like 
Something where it's like you're staring at yourself. You're staring at every pore on your face. You're looking at every pimple or freckle or whatever wrinkle, and you're just like staring at your face and really looking at yourself carefully. He says, it's like you look at yourself in the mirror, and after looking at yourself, you go away, and you immediately forget what you look like. This would be like you, um, you're about to go on a first date, you wanna look good, and so you go, and you're making sure you look okay, you get dressed, you go look in the mirror, and you notice there's something stuck in your teeth. You're like, okay, I'm gonna fix that, I'll, I'll, I'll uh, get that out of my teeth, I don't wanna go to the date with that. And you see a pimple on your forehead, okay, I'm gonna fix that situation before I go on that on the date. Maybe, maybe you're a girl, you're putting on your makeup, you notice, oh, I got lipstick all over my cheek, I, I need to fix that. And then you go away, and you do nothing. And you get to the date, and the person's looking at you like, did you not even look at yourself before you came over? You got junk all in your teeth. You got a pimple on your forehead. You got lipstick all over your face. Like, what are you doing? It's like you see the problem, but you don't actually fix it. He's like, that, that would be ridiculous. Nobody would do that. That's what it's like when you hear, but you don't do. Here's what James is telling us. There's a huge gap between listening and doing. Between listening and doing. He closes out this section by saying, whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. What he says is like, when you do something, it reinforces what you've learned. So like when a teacher tells you, hey, you should write down what I teach you. Because when you write it down, it helps you remember it. When you write it down on note cards, it helps you remember it because you're reinforcing what you're hearing. James is saying it's like the same thing. Like when you hear something and then do it, it reinforces it. It like puts it in your mind and it doesn't just disappear to some uh, back part of your brain that you'll never remember. He says it actually reinforces it and you will remember what you learned in the first place or what you were convicted of in the first place. And so we don't come to United we don't go to church, we don't go to life groups, we don't read the Bible, we don't pray, we don't worship, we don't do all these things to feel bad about ourselves. Like, that, that's not the point. The point's not for me to get up here, say something, you're like, oh my gosh, I feel so bad, and then just, like, come up to the altar and then, like, just feel bad about yourself and then just go on your, your merry way. Like, that's not the point of what we do. If you wanna feel bad about yourselves, there's a lot of better ways to feel bad about yourself. Go, like, eat a terrible meal and, um, and enjoy it as it goes down and then feel terrible and bloated afterwards. Like, if that's what you want to do, if you want to feel bad about something, at least enjoy it as it's happening. Don't just come here and feel guilty about yourself. That, that's, that's pointless. We don't come to church to feel bad. We come to church to change. We come to church to put what we learn into action. And James is saying, don't just listen and feel bad about yourself. Do something change what's going on in your life. And then he's gonna kind of continue giving some examples about this very thing. And he says, um, some of the examples are like, if you're a follower of Jesus, you should control your language, control your tongue, control the way you speak to people and about people. Or maybe you're not a follower. If you're a follower of Jesus, you need to take care of people. Or maybe you're not a follower. If you say you're a follower of Jesus, you need to not be like everybody else and not be like the world. If you're gonna say you're a follower of Jesus, you shouldn't show favoritism. You shouldn't be prejudiced against certain people. You shouldn't be racist or, or, or treat people differently because of the way they look or the way they act or what they believe. He gives all these examples and he says, guys, 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 we gotta live out what we believe. And then he closes it out, this section um, in, in James chapter two. So we're gonna skip ahead a little bit. Verse 14. And this is a very like, 
um, talked about and, and argued about Scripture. And so we're just going to kind of go through it and, and try to understand it together. He says this in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? What good is it if you claim to have faith but you have no deeds or actions? Can such faith save them? He gives an example. So suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? Like you walk past somebody and they're hungry. Hey man, be blessed, hope you get some food. Like that doesn't help them. They're like, cool, thanks man. God bless, God bless, I'm going to church. Like they're like, okay, like why'd you even talk to me? You didn't help me. And he's saying like, if you're gonna see something, doesn't it make sense that you would do something about it? He says, in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Dead. This word for dead means dead, as you might imagine. It means lifeless, but it also means inactive and no power. Now, some people have argued like, well, is he saying that you have to do certain things to go to heaven? He's not saying that. He's not saying that we have to do something in addition to Jesus' grace. He would would say, yes, by grace, we've been saved. We cannot earn it. But because of the grace, shouldn't we show our faith? Shouldn't we put it into action? What, what, What I kind of read it as is maybe your faith based on grace will save you, but if you don't live it out, is it gonna help anybody else? It's kind of like what Clint said, like, are you gonna live out your faith in a way that reaches other people, that lifts other people up? Or are you just gonna keep it to yourself? James might say, well, your faith has no power. No one can see it. And then he continues, but someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, James says, and I will show you my faith by my deeds or by my action. Here's what James is saying. There's a huge gap between talking and doing. There's a huge gap between talking about something and actually doing it. And he's going to continue. He's going to like really pound this point home. He says, you believe that there is one God. Good. In the, in the Jewish faith, in the, in the nation of Israel, they had this prayer. They still have this prayer to this day, uh, thousands of years later, called the Shema. And, and the Shema prayer is a daily prayer that's prayed every morning and every night. And, and it's this recited prayer that you memorize, uh, that a little Jewish boy or girl would learn from a very young age. And, and the first line of it, the most important line of it, is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Here's what that means. It means we have one God. We have one God. Now, here's why this is important. All the other religions in the world had all kinds of gods. The Romans and the Greeks, they had all these gods. They had statues everywhere. You would walk into a, 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 a temple and there'd be all kinds, of, all kinds of gods in there. And you'd pray to different gods for different reasons. And the thing that set Israel apart was we have one God. Now today we think, oh yeah, one God, that makes sense. Like who believes in a bunch of gods? But at the time that was like, it was kind of like a very different thing. And so the Jewish people were very proud of this. They'd say, yeah, yeah, we have one God. This is what sets us apart. This is important that we believe that we have one God. And James is gonna call this out and he's gonna say, yeah, you believe there's one God. Great, even the demons believe that. And they shudder. And at this, people would have been like, oh, come on, James. Like this is, this is our faith. This is a big deal. And you're just gonna say even the demons believe it? But let's think about this. The demons believe 
that Jesus is Lord. They believe that he's the son of God. They believe that he died and he rose again. They believe he wipes away sin, but they don't make him their Lord. They don't surrender to him. They fight against him. They, they, they push people away from him. They believe it. And, and James is like, it's not good enough to just believe it. Even Satan believes in Jesus. Of course he believes in Jesus, but he rejects Jesus. He pushes Jesus away. He fights against Jesus. And so he's saying, man, all you people that think it's okay to just say, oh, I believe in God, great. He's like, that's not the point. That's not enough. It's not just about your belief. And then he's going to continue on. You foolish person. So he's calling us fools if we believe this. You foolish person. I told you, he's a little bit in your face. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds <clears throat> is useless? Now, I think this word is, is really important because this word means lazy. Faith without deeds is lazy. Faith without deeds is free from labor or free from work. Here's another definition of the word useless um, from the original Greek language. It means not doing what it's supposed to. So again, he's not necessarily saying, if you have faith and no deeds, you're gonna go to hell. Like you gotta earn your salvation. He's not saying that. What he's saying is, if you have faith, won't you show it? And if you don't, it's useless. How's it gonna help anybody else? It's not doing what it's supposed to do. You're not living like Jesus. You're not reaching out to other people. And so it's useless. Then he continues, and he gives these examples from the Old Testament. He says, was, our, was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? And you may say, well, he wanted to kill his son. Like, that's not very righteous. He was, he was, um, it was a test of his faith. God never intended for him to kill his son. He wanted to see if Abraham would trust him. And Abraham acted it out. He went all the way to the very end before God says, no, 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 I don't want you to do this. I just wanted to see if you trusted me. And so what James is saying is Abraham was considered righteous when he actually did what God said. It says in verse 22, you see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous is, not, uh, is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. And then he gives another example. There was this, there was this prostitute in the Old Testament that, that saved some Israelite spies and, and helped them out. And they said, hey, we're not, gonna, we're not going to kill you. You're going to be a part of our team when we come and take over this city. So he says, in the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. When she helped out God's people she was considered righteous because she took belief and she put it into action. And he closes with this verse. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Again, there is no power to it. It's lifeless. It doesn't do what it is supposed to do. It's inactive. And so here's what we need to take from what James says. It's pretty simple. Saying from now on, knowing what to do in our mind, feeling convicted or guilty about something, saying you're going to do it, telling your friends about it, it's not enough. Remember what happens in the movie uh, at the end of that song. As soon as Barnum realizes like, oh my gosh, like I've got to actually do something. He runs out of the room. He leaves all the friends behind singing and dancing. He jumps on a train and he goes to his family because he wants to make things right. He's saying from now on, and he's saying, I'm going to do it right now. And he leaves everything and he takes action to make a change. Here's the solution to the problem. And it's pretty simple. Again, 
This isn't rocket science. When you feel God telling you to do something, don't wait. Do it right away. When you feel God telling you to do something, don't wait. Do it right away. Feeling convicted, feeling bad, knowing what we're supposed to do, that's the first part. But then we have to actually do it. So here's a question I want to ask you. And I want you to ask yourself, actually. Is there something God keeps telling you to do that you keep putting off? I want you to think about it. Even if you've ignored the rest of the sermon, clue in on this part. Is there something God keeps telling you to do that you keep putting off? Maybe he's telling you, hey, man, you, you got you to gotta start being honest. You got to start telling the truth. You lie about everything. And you feel convicted about it. You hear a sermon about it. You read a Bible verse about it. You go to life group and talk about it. You pray about it. You think about it. And then you do nothing. And nothing changes. Maybe you have an addiction, an addiction to pornography, an addiction to, to, to smoking or drinking or whatever it is. You have this addiction. And you say, okay. And you start to feel convicted. And you're like, I need to stop. I need to change. And uh, <clears throat> talk to your friends about it. Talk to your life group about it. You pray about it, you think about it, and then you don't do it. And nothing changes. Struggling with selfishness, and you say, I, I gotta stop being selfish. You think about it, you feel convicted about it, you talk to your friends about it, you talk to your life group about it, you say you're gonna do it, and then you do nothing, and nothing changes. You say, I'm gonna start spending time with God, I'm gonna get up tomorrow, and I'm gonna, I, I got my little booklet, I, I'm gonna set up my coffee, I'm gonna take a picture of it and put it on Instagram, like I, I got it all figured out, I'm gonna get up tomorrow and spend time with God. And you talk about it, you tell your life group about it, you feel convicted about it, and then you wake up and you don't do it, and nothing changes. You know you're supposed to end a relationship either with, with, with like a boyfriend or a girlfriend or maybe a friend that, that's just pulling you in a wrong direction. Or maybe you know you need to start a relationship with, with a, a mentor or someone that's gonna hold you accountable or someone that's gonna help you move in the right direction and you feel convicted about it and you even think about who it's gonna be or you think about how you're gonna break up with them and, and you come up with your plan, you pray about it, you tell your friends, hey, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna change my life. From now on, I'm gonna be different. And then you do nothing and nothing changes. You say, I'm gonna start loving my family. I'm gonna start honoring my parents. I'm gonna, I'm gonna start uh, uh, being home a little bit more and start uh, valuing the, the relationships of the people that, that are a part of my family, that are in my bloodline. Like I'm going to, I'm gonna do some things differently. I'm tired of the arguments. I'm tired of the, 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 the grounding. I'm tired of all that. I'm gonna do something differently. And you feel convicted about it. You tell your life group about it. You pray about it. And then you do nothing. And when you do nothing, Nothing changes. You look in the mirror, you realize what you're supposed to do and you forget about it. And can I tell you like, like it's, it's easy to imagine that whoever gets up and preaches, like, well, we must have it figured out because we preached about it. But the reality is we don't. Most of the sermons, a lot of the sermons I preach, as I'm preaching them, I'm like, I'm convicted. I'm like, oh my goodness, what am I doing? I, I don't even feel like I can preach this because I'm messing up in this, in this category. And the reality is none of us are perfect. And we all have a long way to go. And I've realized there are some things in my life that I've been confronted with recently that I've got to change. And a lot of times I'll, I'll think about it. I'll talk about it with my life group. I'll pray about it. I'll say from now on, and sometimes I'll even do it. And then I'll stop doing it. And I won't be consistent. And I won't follow through. And after a couple of weeks, I'll go back to the way I was. And nothing 
changes. And I know in my life, I've been confronted with it this week that, that I have to actually follow through as well. I can't just say from now on, I've got to actually do it. So here's the statement I want you to fill in the blank for you. You can write it down, you can put it in your phone, you can think about it. Here's what it is. From now on, I will blank. From now on, I will honor my parents. From now on, I will break the, or not break the law, sorry. <laughs> From now on, I will spend time with God. From now on, I will pray. From now, not, now on, I will not gossip. From now on, I will not put things in my body that I should not be putting in my body. From now on, I will not be in this relationship. From now on, I will be in this relationship. From now on, I will depend on God. From now on, I will not hurt other people. From now on, I will love others as God has loved me. And here's the bottom line. Change will only happen when you take action. Change will only happen when you take action. Again, this is one of those sermons that you, it's not super spiritual. You realize it, and then you do it. These are the sermons we don't like. We want to just get like confused and just be like, oh my gosh, it's so holy. We don't actually want to do anything. And so we hear a sermon like this. It's like, that was so basic. And it's like, that's just what we have to do. Like, it's very simple. It's not supposed to be confusing. It's just a truth. It's a principle that we have to acknowledge and apply to our lives. We just have to do it. Change will only come when you take action. I love the line in the song that he says, what waited for tomorrow starts tonight. And maybe you've been one of those people, you're like, tomorrow, I'm gonna change my, my, my reputation. Tomorrow, I'm gonna change the way I talk. Tomorrow, I'm gonna change the way I live. Tomorrow, I'm going to do something different. Tomorrow, I'm gonna do my quiet time. Tomorrow, I'm gonna stop hanging out with those people. And you know what you do? Tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. What's waited for tomorrow starts tonight. My challenge to you is to start tonight. Don't just write it down. Don't just think about it. Don't just talk about it. Don't just pray about it, but do it. James would say, if you really are convicted, if you are really following Jesus, take action. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I pray for each person in this room. I pray for myself. I pray that we would not be people that, that are keep waiting for tomorrow that we would not be people that, that think um, listening and thinking and talking is enough, but that we would be people that go and do and that we would realize we can't do it alone. We need you. We need your power. We need your grace. So tonight as we, as we close in worship, Lord, I pray that we would we'd fill in the blank. From now on, I will, whatever it is you put on our heart. I pray that we won't just say it, but that we'll do it, that we won't overcomplicate it, that we will just do it. In your name we pray. Amen.